1: Aggressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the 157th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. I'm your host, Matt Sardo. You know, you kind of start off with a plan sometimes and then the plan changes. Our original plan was to interview Roger Adele, a contributor on Monkeys Fighting Robots that went up to New York Comic Con this past weekend. And intro his piece where he interviews Todd McFarlane. But then we, Roger and I, Roger and me, uh, end up having a long conversation about Spider-Man and the history of Spider-Man that is entertaining and interesting and all this other stuff. It's like 42 minutes long. And I was like, wait a second, we can't use this 42 minute segment to introduce a 15 minute segment because I love you guys, but I know you guys aren't going to stick around for the craziness. Um, but some of you will, and some of you will appreciate the 42 minutes after the Todd McFarlane interview. So what we're doing is we're changing it up. Uh, I'm doing this little intro right here. And Roger interviewed Todd McFarlane at New York Comic Con this past weekend. And they talk about Venom. They talk about the Spawn film. And they talk about toys. And I always get goosebumps listening to Todd McFarlane. Like, he is one of my like idols and i just really enjoy listening to him talk because he's just so motivated, so positive and just like gung-ho to change the industry. Whatever industry it is, he wants to change it and that is what like gets my blood flowing entrepreneur wise and i just really enjoy listening to him talk and his positivity and his it's a positivity but it's also cutthroat. Like it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a very sharp knife of positivity where it's like and and you're done and it's like but it's amazing. So here is Roger talking to Todd McFarlane, and I believe this is a Saturday morning interview that he did. Um, so enjoy the Saturday morning interview with Todd McFarlane. Roger and I will be back after the interview to kind of reintroduce the interview, but then just keep listening because it, it goes downhill quickly, but it's pretty awesome. So uh, thanks for listening and enjoy the interview, guys.
0: All right, I'm here with Todd McFarlane. The, uh, co-creator of Venom, creator of Spawn, owner of McFarlane Toys, co-founder of Image Comics. How's the uh, show treating you so far, Todd? How's the uh, overall uh, crazy cardio of, of this whole event uh, going? Okay,
2: here, here's here's what I found out fairly early in my career, because I've been going to these things now for, you know, since I was a kid, almost for 40 years now, all right? But, and as a pro for thir- over 30 years now. Every convention is good. And here's why. Because if you're, if, if you're a professional, and I've been that for close to 30 years now, is you come to the convention, you sit down, right? Not high impact. And then people come to you. You don't even have to work that hard. They come to you and they say nice things for hours and hours on end, right? So. How, how is it even possible to have a bad convention, right? So the moment I walk out of the convention, because the conventions are false positives. Everybody says, nice, you actually think you're actually doing everything right. And then you walk outside and then you deal with the real world and then you go, oh darn it, and nobody cares who you are, right? So every convention's awesome to me, every convention. I'm thankful to meet the fans. And because people who don't like you aren't gonna stand in line for an hour To say that because they don't, they've only got limited amount of time. They go, they go to the people they like, right? So you're basically preaching to the choir. It's good. Conventions are good.
0: And so, one of your most famous creations uh, had a movie come out recently, Venom. Yeah. And I saw that you had attended the premiere. Yeah. How was that? On Monday.
2: On Monday. Yeah. They had. It was funny because, they, they, you know, they have the big premiere on the red carpet, except for the carpet was black. Right. It was the, it was the black carpet, which I thought was interesting just to start with. Lots of fans were out there lined up, so I I went up and down, signed a bunch of their comic books and their posters and stuff. Uh, Got to come in, meet some of the actors, uh, had a nice long conversation with Ruben Fleischer, the director. You know, very charming, pleasant man. Whose parents I met live in Phoenix, which where I I, they don't live that far from me. I thought was kind of cool. And then we had to sit down and, and see the movie. It was you know, so I'm going, oh look at that. And my and my wife was with me said that there's an easter egg in there i didn't see it so if you guys go to the movie you can look for it because i missed it uh eddie brock is going through some computer file of his girlfriend and he looks at some paperwork and the law firm i wasn't reading the the top of the paper because i was reading something else the top of the law firm, the law firm's called McFarlane, Michelinie, or Michelinie and McFarlane or something. So I go, look at that. They snuck, they snuck our names in the middle of the movie. So, uh, And then for me, the big, the big uh, thing I was looking for, uh, maybe David was looking for something different because he's a writer. I, I was just looking for the visual that I had created 30 years ago, which is this big, gnarly, nasty dude in a black costume. And minus the spider on his chest, I saw it. I saw I saw this big, hulking creature on the screen. Because the the first go around, remember when they did it in Spider-Man number three, the Topher Grace, yeah, uh, the conversion didn't add that much weight to him. And 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 again, I'm I'm just being biased and selfish. That in my brain, I'm going, no, 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 no. Venom's huge. Venom's huge. Right? He's way bigger than a normal human being and, and the, the, the Sony movie I saw this big hulking figure up on screen a lot
0: yeah and your other most well known creation Spawn you're working on a movie for him right now we yeah. talked about that last year yeah. um, where are you at with that right now I know that you've got Jamie Foxx cast as uh, Al Simmons
2: yeah and then we added Jeremy Renner as uh, Twitch the detective that's in it um, just you know brought on board not long ago Greg Nicotero uh, from Walking Dead fame. You know, he created all those zombies. Actually worked on the first Spawn movie 20 years ago, and both he and I were you know, were way younger. Uh, and, and then he's also, Greg's also directed more Walking Dead than anybody else. So when I sat with him, which, to talk about the costume, and I just had a meeting with him literally two hours ago, off-site, um, that he, because he's a director now, understands some of the stuff that's in my head that might not be written down on paper. You know, I wrote the screenplay, so I might not be using the right word. And when I visualize it to him, he's smart enough to be able to sort of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And we'll make it in such a way that it'll actually shoot good on camera and it'll show good on camera. And when I was meeting with him, he actually did some 3D outputs of some of the stuff that we've designed, and he painted it. So today, literally today, I saw the spawn that, that I want in the movie. I saw it today physically. I went, wow. I, like, and, and, he, and he met and exceeded all my expectations. I go, ding, 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 ding. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been designing. And now to just be able to hold it in my hand, I go, wow. So now I need to take that into Hollywood because they're having a little bit of trouble trying to get their head wrapped around what I'm trying to do. Uh, I need to tweak this script, I guess a little bit more to just to fine tune it a bit for them and then just get them out of that superhero mode, but I, I you know again, if I bring in now these these printouts and my animatics and my imagery and I do my song and dance, then maybe I can get them into a framework that when they read the script will make sense to them, which is basically it's just a creepy movie, right? I mean, you can do the nun, and you can do Halloween, you can do Spawn, right? So, but if you if you're thinking of the Avengers, then then what I'm trying to do falls completely apart. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and I've been rewatching the animated series uh, from HBO recently, and rereading some of the early Spawn books. Uh, so, how does the overall tone that you're going for kind of compare to those?
2: Yeah, so the the, the the original movie twenty years ago was a PG-13 movie. Then we did the the R-rated uh, HBO stuff that had every warning on it. If you remember, right? There's only yeah. five. We had all five. Um, we, uh, over the years. I've had way more response to the HBO of people going, oh, that was way darker and way grittier. So take what we did on HBO and then and then quadruple it in terms of just the dark sadisticness of it, right? So if you want a serious tone, I don't mean blood and guts and gore. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about serious, harsh, scary, creepy, insane, messed up stuff, then then that's where we're going. And there were there were, especially in the 3rd season of HBO, I thought we we got closer to what we're talking about. I want to go way beyond that, but it, you know, there's we laid some of the blueprint down there.
0: And when you're writing for a character like that that's darker and grittier in nature how do you uh, kind of find the right balance so that it doesn't seem like it's maybe like edgy or... It is edgy. Well, yeah, but for the sake of being edgy as opposed to just like having a natural feel to it. You know I, what I, I, mean? th-
2: I think the existence of my book not, not being a superhero book in the truest sense for 25 years, and especially currently, if you go buy the Spawn comic book now, it's way closer to what I'm going to present in the movie Uh, than obviously the first couple issues that came out 25 years ago. So there's been an evolution in him. I mean, obviously, when when I left Marvel and we started Image Comic Books and Spawn was my first book, yeah, there's this heavy reliance on superhero tropes and the rule of a superhero comic book, but that was 25 years ago, and I've since evolved it, and so it's gotten to be more of a creepy horror book, uh, and will continue to be so.
0: Yeah, because like what I was getting at was like, how do you avoid, I guess maybe things coming off as um, uh, cliche uh, if you try to, I guess there's like a forced edginess to some things that, that you know some writers try to avoid the, uh, if you get what I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Talking about
2: uh, well, here's what here's what I would say, I I, I don't it. Let's just get away that you can do super creepy superhero first before we worry about the cliches of that, right? Yeah. I've got to just get people to accept that you can even get away and do super creepy superhero stuff, right? So I, I, I you know, because there's either just superheroes or there's creepy, and there, there, there hasn't been sort of like the hybrid. Now maybe it's because nobody wants it, and maybe because there's no. There's no need for it. And I'm just a man on an island right now. But when I give talks and I'm going to meet some people, and I did a couple yesterday, I'm going to give uh, another one tomorrow, I just think think there's a hunger among adults, not 8-year-old kids, amongst adults, and I'll put adults as 15 and up, that just are waiting for somebody to give them something super seriously dark and creepy and messed up. At least once, just just show it to us, and then we'll tell you whether we like it or not. Superhero movies, there's lots of options now, so there's they're getting that diet. That diet is being filled. Somebody's not filling this other dietary need off in a corner. I think, and I I I my I'm I'm completely biased. I think that that hunger is bigger than the studios know right now because. Because I keep seeing it, you know, like I said, two weeks ago, um, uh, none opens up to 55 million, 55 million, and then, and then in two weeks, Halloween coming out, and I think it's tracking around 65 million. I mean, it's going to be the biggest, not the biggest, you know, horror movie opening in October. It's going to be, if it, if it opens up to the number they're saying, Venom might break the record for October this weekend. And it will only last two weeks because Halloween may shatter that record in two weeks from now. So there is a hunger for creepy, scary stuff out there.
0: Yeah. And speaking of Halloween, I've seen some posters that you did for that floating around.
2: Oh, yeah. So I, I just saw one. They had not given me one yet. But, yeah, I did, a, I did a poster. And one of the things we talked about was that the, the mask has got a lot more detail to it. So I went in there and, and did, you know, maybe more detail than I should have, but, you know, I put a bunch of lines in there just to show some of the texturing, that it's not that same sort of plastic head that you were used to. There's, there's a little bit of, of texture and bounce to it. So.
0: And uh, with McFarland Toys right now, uh, with Toys R Us going out of business earlier this year, even though they're talking about making a comeback now, how does that kind of impact you from a toy maker perspective?
2: Um, didn't it, 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 I mean, obviously it was, it was disappointing and, it was a, and it's an impact. I don't think it was probably as big an impact as it probably was for you know, big companies like Hasbro and Mattel that were selling you know, tens, tens of millions of dollars into those stores, right? So they, they lost a one-stop place where they could, they could get a lot of revenue and a lot of capital. We just now have to take what we were selling to Toys R Us, uh, and at times the last five six years they were they were at odds with what they were trying to do. So sometimes they were into our stuff and collectibles, and sometimes they weren't, and and it was it was sort of a mixture depending on who was in charge. And so we've we've been able to fairly quickly sort of spread out what we lost at Toys R Us to you know other. Retailers. I mean, we live in a brave new world now. There's a thing called the Internet, right? And there's lots of people that are, buy stuff on the Internet and sell it direct. It can be just as geeky, if not obviously way more geeky, than a store like Toys R Us, right? So.
0: And how's the uh, construction aisle treating you all? Uh, is it still doing probably the best business?
2: The construction aisle is an, an interesting one because it, I'm, I'm getting a sense that it's shocked by moms and dads in a younger generation. People who are hardcore action figure collectors or hardcore star wars or something like that don't necessarily then also go into the construction aisle and say oh and i need everything star wars in the construction aisle too right so it's a it's a different dynamic so i'm finding that probably we go forward we're going to continue to do construction that probably will still be in a seven to 16 age and not not probably do things like aliens and predator i think that probably belongs in statues and and uh action figures and and other areas that aren't that aren't construction
0: and what do you have on the horizon uh in the next year or so that you're excited about uh toy wise
2: um well we got fortnite which is a giant huge brand i just came from a meeting uh, from one of their headquarters with the head, de- head designer there on Tuesday we cooked up a lot of crazy ideas because he's just a little 12 year old boy in a man's body like I am so we just we had a bit of a simpatico meeting that we're going to go oh my god what if we did this and this and this and this and this oh my god and then he showed me a bunch of stuff that's coming out in the next year so uh, we've got we've got that the Destiny toys are doing good for us obviously all of our sports toys and uh you know things like stranger things we're we'll continue to do all the things that we're known for but the probably the thing i am looking forward to in 2019 also is that we're going to start doing more direct toys to the consumer so we're going to go back to our roots and you're going to see more dragons and more monsters and more tortured souls and more twisted stuff i mean all that stuff that we've sort of built our reputation on we're going to go back to it and start making those again, and and and, and if the stores that we used to sell them aren't in business anymore, which they aren't. Tower Records and KB Toys and Suncoast and all those places that used to support us. That since they're not, they don't exist. We'll just sell it straight to the consumer, right? it's the, it's the world we live in now, right? You can cut out, you can cut out the 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 old system and just go direct to consumer.
0: And, uh, is there anything uh, else that you want to mention? Uh, in this interview?
2: Um, t- uh, we're By the time we sit down next year, uh, issue 300 of Spawn will be out. The comic book. Issue 290 is just out. Um, I tried a new thing with issue 290 where people were doing variant covers. So we did a variant black and white, but not just a cover. I made the whole book black and white. So it's a, it's a variant book. You can get a variant book. So one's colored and one's black and white. Uh, and, but as we get to issue 300, which will you know, be right at the momentum, hopefully, as we're getting ready to release the movie. But the biggest, sort of more exciting issue is the very next one, issue 301, because that sets a record. Right, years ago, there was a book called Cerebus, the aardvark, and, and it, it, it had 300 issues, and it was an independent comic book. And so Spawn, when it gets to 301, will now be a record setter. It will be the longest-running independent comic book in North America history. So I, I'm going, oh. And that, that will probably have come out just before New York Comic Con next year. So I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be riding high in a, on a couple of big events, issue 300, 301, and then hopefully I'll be able to drop a, a, another trailer you know, at that point to get everybody sort of excited about what we're doing. I also signed... You know, developing some TV stuff, so we'll be making an announcement about some of that. I think it's early as next week, and we'll just keep pushing the boulder up the hill and just see where where it all
1: lands. Hi, that was the Todd McFarlane interview, and we will restart this podcast right now. Welcome to the New York Comic Con edition of the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. My name is Matthew Sardo, the co-founder of Monkeys Fighting Robots, and I am joined... Today, by a long-time Monkeys Fighting Robots contributor and uh, I think even longer person, Roger Adele. I know this guy from Chicago back in the day. He came to my last birthday in Chicago. I never met this guy forever, and we communicated online. And then he shows up at my last birthday in Chicago about seven years ago. And uh, you know what's funny? is I can't remember what you were dressed up as. I think you were just... In my head, you're always... Heavy metal, Roger.
0: Yeah, I had uh, I still had long hair at the time, and my beard was a little bit longer, and I think I showed up in jeans and a black T-shirt, and I was uh, Thor, uh, Donald Blake. Oh. Yeah.
1: That's all, yeah, and that was like, I think it's, I mean, I don't know, did the Thor movie come out at that point in time? I'm not even sure if the Thor movie came out at that point in time yet.
0: Yeah. It came out the previous summer and there was the Donald Blake reference when he puts on that black t-shirt and there's a Donald Blake name tag on it.
1: Oh, yes. I remember trying to like, cause I went to San Diego Comic-Con that year and they were giving out, um, Captain America shirts or the Donald Blake shirts. And I was desperately trying to get that Donald Blake shirt and it was a no go. It was a no go. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up with the Captain America shirt that I've I've had forever. So, I, I, that was, that was good times. But, um, oh yeah, I was thinking about that because I was, because Chris Evans just came out and said, you know, goodbye to fans and everything. And I went digging through my phone and I went to one of the first screenings of Captain America First Avenger. And Chris Evans was in my screening and he gave a little speech before. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. But we, we still, we didn't really know what it meant at that point in time. We're like, yeah, it's a Captain America movie. This is awesome. And, and we didn't really know what we were getting at that point in time. And, um, but here we are now with Avengers Infinity War and the the fourth film coming out. And, and it's just been an amazing eight year run that he's had.
0: Yeah. What's your theory for how they wrap up his story?
1: I, I've been talking about this. Uh, One of my buddies that I go to press screenings with, um, we've, just been talking about how marvel works with their film franchises and they kind of try to box out dc uh with their films you know because they didn't you know it's how dc didn't have dark seed um and i'm trying to think of how, the couple other films that they put out that have kind of blocked out characters that dc's wanted to use but i really think avengers 4 might be a flashpoint where they start the universe over without these people existing and so then you get like a a flashpoint universe where Captain America's alive but like something's off kind of thing. So then like DC can't use Flashpoint because like wait a second. Marvel just did that
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean one of the things that I've heard Captain America wise is that maybe he just goes back in time and stays there.
1: Oh yeah. I <clears throat> I definitely think that Chris Evans is going to take some time off and um One of the most amazing things about Captain America is Chris Evans could take 10, 15 years off and come back as, I really don't know how old he is, but he can come back as 55-year-old Cap and put on an awesome show, too, because that is a storyline that could happen.
0: Yeah. Do you think they do uh, Bucky Cap or Sam Cap after him?
1: Oh, man. Um, That's a tough one. Because I would like to see the guy who plays Bucky Barnes do a Luke Skywalker movie because he looks exactly like Luke Skywalker Mark Hamill when he was a kid, you know, when Mark Hamill was in Star Wars. So I'm leaning towards Bucky becoming Luke Skywalker. So I guess I would want a Hawkeye Captain America.
0: Yeah, but are they turning Hawkeye into Ronan in Avengers 4,
1: though? Oh, not Hawkeye. I mean, um, Falcon. I was oh, my... Yeah, um, we were talking about DC. So I was like in a Hawkman mode. And so I was like, I get him. That's where my crossover comes in. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I wasn't, because uh, you were, D, you were, you were at, you're at Newer Comic Con this weekend. And that's why we're, that's why you, you actually called in. Um, and I want to say you were at one of the panels where they were talking about possibility of a DC Marvel crossover happening again.
0: Yeah, it was the uh, Marvel Next Big Thing panel, and CV said that there's always communication between Marvel and DC about potential crossovers in the comic books, but that there's nothing in the plans right now. Because uh, there had been a fan who came up during the question and answer uh, part of that panel who brought up the Amalgam universe from back in the 90s and wanted to know if they were going to do anything like that anytime soon. Oh,
1: man. Hey, I, the nineties were, I, cause I've been going back and looking at that stuff and I've been decorating my like office slash studio and I've been going back and buying like nineties action figures. Like I got myself a, a, whatchamacallit, a Max figure and I got myself a, a Grifter Wildcats figure and, and then I was reviewing Venom so I was flashing back. I was rereading old Spawn issues and the nineties. We're just crazy. And um, if you, I, I encourage everybody to take out a book from the 90s, your favorite book from the 90s, and open it up, look at it, and then lay your favorite book from like this year next to it and just compare how far comic books have evolved. And it's just mind blowing when you set them right next to each other.
0: Oh, yeah, I can guarantee you that uh, anyone who goes back and rereads Maximum Carnage at this point uh, isn't going to be as impressed as they were when they read it as a kid.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, Um, you bring that up. And I remember because this this was like my heyday as, you know, as a teenager. And so Terminator 2 comes out and my mind is blown when that comes out. And it's just like one of the most impressive action movies That I've ever seen sci-fi movies. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so then I'm reading comic books, and you know, you got Venom doing his own thing and everything like that. And then like Carnage comes out, and then there's the origin of the first couple issues of Carnage. Um, that story arc and amazing Spider-Man. And I was like, wait a second, this is Terminator 2. Is nobody like (laughs) gonna say like this is Terminator 2 at all? Like (laughs) Carnage makes the same exact like weapons as the Terminator 2. I was like, come on. This is blatant ripoff from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love the original Carnage storyline, but Maximum Carnage is, like, probably second in the Spider-Man books as far as uh, 90s Overkill goes. I mean, first is obviously the Clone Saga.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, that's... (laughs) I'm trying to think of where the overkill is. Because I did like the... the Because for me, I think like Amazing Spider-Man was coming out like in the 90s at like twice a week for a while. And so there was a whole bunch of like, this is the first of six issues. And so they do like a three-month story arc, but it'd be like six issues. And so they had like Return of the Sinners of Sticks. and, And let's step back a little bit further. For me, I felt like Spider-Man or Amazing Spider-Man was devolving um as a as a a, because you went from Todd McFarlane to Eric Larson and Eric Larson is an okay second artist after McFarlane I mean I like both of them but like I was like McFarlane is the the best ever (laughs) and then you have like Eric Larson and then you go to Mark Bagley and I'm like oh my god this is you just keep you know like when you like xerox a copy and then you copy that copy and then you copy that copy again like it keeps degrading that's how i felt like amazing spider-man was going for me as a kid
0: yeah and i mean i like uh larson and bagley a lot too uh but i think that the todd definitely defined the look of spider-man for that whole generation
1: and um i'm trying to think because there was like the return of the sinister sticks And there was some, like, weird, like, Moon Knight Punisher. And I forgot who I I think, like, Nova and Darkhawk were in it, where they were, like, coming together to fight somebody. And then there was, like...
0: Yeah, Nova's in the Tri-Sentinel story arc. Yeah. Around, like, 351, 352.
1: Yeah, and because they were introduced Cardiac, which I really thought was kind of a cool character. Is he still alive, or did they kill him off?
0: He showed up in Superior Spider-Man... Oh yeah, he did. He was doing a brain test on, uh, auto Pete.
1: Yeah. Um, I really liked that character because I was like, it was kind of like a, cause he could, cause I think with his electricity, he could fight off Venom or something like that. So they created a character that could like cancel out characters.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think part of the the biggest problem just from a storytelling perspective in some of those bigger story arcs, once you started having everything crossing over every month in amazing, spectacular web and then the adjective with Spider-Man was that you had like too many people writing it and it kind of felt disjointed uh, on occasion from one book to the next.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally remember that like. I, if you look at the, the way the books are set up, like you had amazing, you had web, uh, and then you had, um, spectacular and Charlie Allred, who does the walking dead. I love his walking dead, but as a kid, I couldn't stand his Spider-Man when he was working on Spider-Man. Like I was like, who is this guy and what is he doing? But now like, he's one of my favorite artists working on the walking dead. So I've, I've, i but I don't want him, you know, I didn't want him writing drawing Spider-Man back in the day because I felt like Spectacular was like the worst of the artistry of the series at the time.
0: I mean, the adjective with Spider-Man book around the time that Maximum Carnage happened got kind of spotty. There's some covers from the Maximum Carnage story arc on that book where characters are standing on top of the buildings, but the proportions are off in a way that makes it look like the characters are as tall as the buildings.
1: Yeah, no, it was um, and yeah, you had Spider Man Unlimited, where I think it had like the Carnage wave coming over or something. It was it was weird. Yeah, it was it was such a bizarre, bizarre time. Cause then I mean, you, it's a
0: fourteen part story that could have been told in six or seven parts.
1: Yeah, but then you wouldn't have made all the money. I mean, the, the, you yeah. know, there was back then, you know, the, you you could actually buy Marvel stock. And uh, when I had the comic book store, that was like the first thing I did was buy Marvel stock. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy some Marvel stock because I'm, you know, I'm part of it now. And then it got bought by Disney like two years later. And I was like, Oh damn it. <laughs> 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 um, but I think I have some Disney stock now. I always tell my friends because one of my friends are like, they do stocks and they're like, Hey Matt, is this movie good or not? And I was like, yeah, you should probably buy stock right before the movie comes out because like after the opening week it's going to like rock. You know, like when it right before Avengers Avenger we yeah, Avengers 4 comes out, like you probably should buy Disney stock because like once it makes a billion in the first week, the stock will probably go up like 10% and then you sell it and you're good, you know. Yeah. All right, so let's like quickly, I mean, you went and interviewed Todd McFarlane and this is going to be the, the Todd McFarlane interview is going to be the highlight of this podcast. Um, and I already edited it down and, and you had some great questions and you talk about Spawn and you talk about Venom and there's some really good stuff going on there. And I always really like talking when you talk to Todd about business stuff like that. I consider the toy end where his business mind turns on and that's always interesting to see how he thinks because. Um, I, I look at Todd McFarlane as one of those people, uh, like I look at him like the, um, as one of the, the genius founders, you know, like the guy who invented, you know, the iPhone. And, um, I'm trying to think of the crazy, the crazy CEOs of companies because like he has a whole nother level of himself that he just pushes. It's so competitive. It's so crazy. And he wants to be the best. But when he goes into business mode, it is, like, super cutthroat, but it's also super inspiring.
0: Yeah, I mean, arguably, he pretty much started this whole, like, adult uh, action figure line type of thing with Spawn and with a lot of those horror movie uh, figures that he's done over the year and, the like, the Metallica and Kiss figures and things like that.
1: And then he he started a like, it took me a little bit to understand what he was talking about, but like the building, the building blocks and just the way he analyzes uh, the system. And I your last last year's interview was the one that I was like, wow, this is genius. He's like, he's like, when your kid comes up to you and goes, hey, dad, I want this. The fad is already passed. Like, you've already missed it because he went through the whole cycle of like kids and how they like find their approval of what's cool, and what's not cool. And by the time a kid comes up to you and goes, Hey, I need this. It's too late to be, you're already, you've missed the boat on trying to be edgy and stuff because it, the kid has to like get approval from his friends. And then like, there's like usually like an outside group and other peers. And all this stuff. it goes through this whole cycle of, of back and forth between, you know, the different kid groups. And then finally it's like, Hey dad, I need some money. Cause I need to go buy this. And, uh, that was a really just him him as a marketer, him as like analyzing the market is where like I get I get crazy business owner, like entrepreneur, like nerd him from him and stuff.
0: Yeah, like I was surprised last year, uh just that the, the construction aisle was as profitable as it is for him, but I had never realized that the patent on Legos had opened up either. So it kind of makes all these things in that aisle more capable of uh, intermingling.
1: And before we go into the interview, why don't you like set it up? Like, cause you're a Todd McFarlane fan. Like you're a super nerd. I always, you even break the taboo. Like I could never go in and try to get a book signed after interviewing Todd McFarlane. I might get a picture. <laughs> I might get a picture, but I'll never be like, Hey Todd, can I get this? So, so set me up, you know, set me up on, on this year's interview with Tom McFarlane.
0: Yeah, so the, the funny thing about getting the, the book signed is that last year I was apprehensive about that because I asked him what time his signings were that weekend. And he was basically just like, oh, I'll sign it right now. You know, it's uh, um, it's not something that I would normally ask someone to do right after an interview because it just kind of feels like one of those things where it's uh for me it feels like I'm jumping in line in front of other people who would want that you know
1: you know what's funny is um I've gone down to Miami and done some press junkets and so they have you all set up and so you walk in and and you have your four minutes and it's like counting down as soon as you walk into the thing and sometimes you can squeeze out a photo like a selfie but then After that gets done, there's a round table with like mommy bloggers where like usually the talent comes in and it's, you know, 10, 15 minutes with the mommy bloggers and the mommy bloggers have tons of stuff for them to sign. Like they have. It's funny because like you hang out with the journalists and they're all professional and all this and blah, blah. blah. But like journalism has evolved. So you have to like sell your brand. So getting a selfie with the people you just interviewed is part of doing business now because that's the evolution of journalism uh, where you kind of have to sell yourself uh for it. But now like there's that next level, which I don't even call it, journalism, where it's like the mommy bloggers talking about, you know, like what they want to do and what they like and and affiliate marketing and all this other stuff. But like they have they afterwards they're like after the round table, they've got like ten things for people to sign. And I remember that with uh, uh Jeremy Renner. Oh, he played Judge Dredd, and I'm blanking on his name. He played Judge Dredd, and he was in the Star Trek movie. Carl Urban. I was just like, because I went in with like hard questions. I was like, hey, Carl, you might never be able to do Star Trek again. Do you feel like they gave you the best Dr. McCoy ever? Like, you know, do you feel like your character is totally like hit its peak? And he's like, and he came at me and he's like, Listen, I like the script. I like what we did. And you know, I felt like I gave everything I could to the to the film. And like it was kind of like a stare-off. And then the mommy blogger comes in and goes, so, how's it going about? You know, your wife and kids, blah, blah blah. Do you want to sign this book? And like, and I was like, oh, apparently we're in a different type of interview right now. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was crazy. But it was, it was still a lot of, it was still a lot of fun. And it was, you know, you're always, it's weird, man. Like, cause I, I've, I've been to super, I've done press junkets at like Super Bowls, and I've done press junkets for films, and then I've done like conventions and. It's so weird the different levels of etiquette that comes with all this different stuff. Like you go to a, you, when you're covering like a football game, you're not allowed to cheer or even like you're not you're not allowed to cheer. Like it's like I'm trying to think baseball is probably the most silent when you're just watching it with the reporters. And then football is a little bit um, a little bit more talkative because, you know, football is more of a machismo sport. So there are people kind of talking about, Ooh, that was a big hit or, Ooh, that was on it. Um, and then hockey is very, is very, it's probably very professional. Hockey is, is very professional, but there's still kind of like a nice camaraderie in there. And then I went to New York for the, for the all-star game for MLB. And I hung out with the Latin media and it's a fucking party. Like the whole time. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to work in a Latin market because it's the most one ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so what do you when you because you did you did a couple roundtable interviews um at new york comic-con like what was and i feel like pop culture journalism is still kind of evolving and you know the entry level to get in is is kind of low but you still have like top tier talent covering it so what are your experiences with that kind of stuff yeah i
0: mean i did the uh round table with- the showrunner for Daredevil season three, uh, Eric Olson. And it was interesting how professional, even like some of the smaller bloggers who were there were. Um, there's, there's such a variety of, of people who cover the pop culture conventions all the time that you get people who are from to glossier publications all the way down to people who are just like running their blogs.
1: Yeah, no, it's cool. And I mean, that's exactly, I mean, I think Todd talked about that last interview. He's like, Hey, you know, with the internet, internet, you can do almost anything. He's like, he's monkeys fighting robots. You know, they can just walk into a convention and interview Todd McFarland. I mean, I was just cracking up when he said that too. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, before we start the interview, what was your, What was the most awesome thing that you did, bought, saw at New York Comic Con?
0: All right, so I'll uh, break this up into a few different things. There's a lot of cool cosplay that I saw this year. One of the more interesting ones that I saw was uh, TMNT uh, Raphael, who basically looked exactly like the movie costumes from the early 90s. And I don't know how much this guy spent on that costume. I imagine it was a small fortune, but it looked fantastic. And then there was a group of people doing symbiote cosplay, and it was some of the best symbiotes that I've seen. There was like a seven. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! I know you saw Venom, and they said symbiote, but you know it's symbiote, right? Like that's 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 the common law. Symbiote, not symbiote. Don't give those. Is it
2: symbiote? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I thought that
0: the problem. I thought the problem with venom was that she said symbiote.
1: Oh, it could be. It could be. I don't know. I just, I just, I just, I just remember when the first trailer came out, and it was like, oh man, nobody could, nobody could give them, nobody could say anything like about that. They probably should pronounce it differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm from Kentucky originally. and We don't really know how to talk there in general to begin with. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there was there was a Venom Wolverine. And I'm sure you've been to enough conventions at this point that you know how difficult it is for people to do either a Venom or a Wolverine cosplay alone that doesn't look cheesy. But this guy nailed Venom and Wolverine together. And that was fantastic.
1: Yeah, the, co- uh, the cosplay is just insane How is it, how it's evolved. Because... Yeah. I... It's got to be their hobby. I mean, because it's one of those things where I was like, yeah, I really want to dress up for one of these conventions when I was younger. And then I'd like put a costume together and I'm like, be the shittiest costume ever. I am like, I felt like I put together some time. I tried to do stuff. I was like, but again, it's 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 probably practice and skill and in their hobby. And you got to like anything you have to practice and you have to spend time doing it. But like the, well, the
0: kind of bizarre that there's professional cosplayers now, though.
1: Yes, there is. There are professional cosplayers. In uh, my last MegaCon, I earned a lot of respect for some of the professional cosplayers because there was this one girl who she came up each day dressed completely different in a top notch, top notch costume, full makeup, changing her what whatever she wanted to be, whether she was like an elf to Wonder Woman and then just kind of I forgot what the, the other three days were. But she had a line of 50 people always. And she was always critiquing other people's cosplay, like, oh, my God, let me look at your outfit and like so compassionate, so complimentary. And I was like, this is why you have a line of 50 people, you know, always to talk to you because like you're giving more back than you're taking from people. You know, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and like I'm just surprised that some of these people aren't working in Hollywood cuz they're fantastic at putting these costumes together and doing makeup.
1: Yeah. I it's it's uh it's 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 amazing, you know, watching these people do these makeups and and I I always kind of like get stuck on those videos where people are like, "Hey, this girl is going to change into Darth Maul." And I was like, "I've got 30 seconds to burn, why not?" And then it's like And ends up being a 10 minute video of her like redoing her whole entire face and making her look like, you know, something better than the films. And and that's what, you know, we're seeing that more and more. We're like, as soon as they reveal a costume for a film or a TV show, there's always a better cosplayer out there. And they're like, why didn't you use this outfit? Yeah. Yeah, of... I
0: mean, it's uh the, like all the people who, who have always said, for example, the, the Wolverine costume doesn't work in like a live action type of thing. But I've seen cosplay people who make that costume look like it could believably work.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to I mean, I'll never understand. I mean, the I, you understand the ears once they take it off his head and you're like, oh, his hair kind of fits in there. But I've never understood the ears of the Wolverine mask. I mean, I just don't. Also,
0: I've always liked those best when they're a little bit lower and closer to the mask because I've kind of always been the same with Batman's ears. I don't like them when they're super tall and pointy. I like them when they're a little bit shorter and closer to the mask.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, because I know, <laughs> I'm trying to think, it would, because it was before we opened up the store. So it was probably like 20, oh, uh, 2005. I went to a Bears game and it was on Halloween and I dressed, I was like, oh, we should all dress up for the Bears game. I went to the least cosplay friendly event ever, dressed up as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and and people were like flicking my ears and people wanted to fight Batman and I was like, listen dude, like, I will fight you, but like I'm also a Bears fan, like settle down. like." But it was but in my head i was like man this is gonna be great everybody's gonna be dressed up because it's it's halloween and it's the bears game and it's a night game and i was like it's gonna be amazing and i brought i got my costume together and we went and had like nice prime rib before the game and then i went to the bathroom and i came out as batman and <laughs> everybody in the restaurant like kind of just stopped and they were just like i don't know the hell this-. and that's when i realized like i don't know if i'm doing the right thing at this point in time <laughs> but i was like i'll go with it I'll just keep going and um, it was it was hilarious I mean luckily the Bears won but yeah man I had it was it was it was it was insane that I went into like the least you know now if somebody if there was now I mean because you watch like Raider games and everybody's all dressed up and you watch games now and people go to people go crazy on how they dress up for football games but apparently in 2005 it I was I was ahead of the curve on that one
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Back on the, the Comic-Con thing. uh So we've got the, you know, the Frank Miller and Bendis panel that I went to the Spider-Man panel, the Marvel next big thing panel, you know, people can read all about that on the site. Uh But one of the things that I didn't get a chance to write about that I, uh that I went to was the Marvel Knights 20th anniversary panel. And there weren't, a lot of big reveals during that panel, so much as it was just interesting listening to Joe Cassada and Jim Palmiati and Chris Priest uh, just kind of going back and forth about that whole process of, of creating all of that and you know, for example, how in Priest Black Panther, the uh, Dora Milaje were originally conceived. Not just as bodyguards to T'Challa, but also as, uh, kind of like brides for him with one of them from each of Wakanda's tribe. And that was how the tribes of Wakanda were kind of kept at peace because each of them had a kind of a stake in the, in the throne that way. But nowadays that doesn't work as well as it did, you know, 20 years ago just from like a, a social standpoint and whatnot, you know?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's. And, uh,
0: one of the other interesting things too, is that uh, after the panel, I got a chance to uh, talk to Casada for just a few seconds. And it was mainly just me walking up and telling him how much, uh, and you're going to hate me for saying this, but how much I appreciated brand new day. <laughs>
1: You son of a bitch. (laughs) son of a bitch.
0: uh, Because basically what what I told him was that, so everyone gets upset about the Mephisto deal, but in, uh, and I'm sure you've read Casada's One Moment in Time that they did, I think like 40 or 50 issues after the Mephisto deal, like well into Brand New Day, where it kind of closed out that sort of uh, story. But basically, the way that the Mephisto deal played out, the Mephisto deal never happened.
1: Uh, You're going to have to explain that to me now. All
0: right. So basically, in one moment in time, they reveal what MJ whispered in Mephisto's ear. Because Peter didn't actually make the deal, if you remember. It was MJ who accepted Mephisto's deal. Right. And she whispers in his ear that if they accept that deal, Mephisto can never interfere in their lives again. And so in one moment in time, as they go back through all these different uh, key events in the relationship between Mary Jane and Peter, starting at the wedding, Mephisto doesn't directly uh, interfere in any of these things, breaking them apart. Basically, he takes the form of a bird that... um, that lets the criminal out who hits Peter over the head with the brick just in happenstance uh, and knocks Peter out, which is why Peter missed the wedding in the first place. And then he takes the form of a nurse in the hospital when Aunt May is shot because basically Peter and MJ were still together after uh, after Peter accidentally blew the wedding. They just weren't married that whole time, but then they split up eventually uh at that point in continuity because when peter makes the deal with dr strange to erase his identity after he's able to revive may because may flatlines at one point and he's successful in reviving her uh during the last panel of one of those issues i think it's the third issue but basically what splits up mary jane and peter as a result of all this is actually that when peter made the deal with Doctor Strange to put that mind wipe uh, in place regarding his identity with everyone. He kept MJ in the know, and MJ wanted to forget that he was Spider-Man because that was her big hang-up with the relationship. Was that she didn't, she couldn't live with Spider-Man because Peter was constantly in danger.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I was like, I knew I knew there'd be some anger coming up here at some point in time. Yeah. Um, so, I was like, I was like, yes, this is all yeah. coming back to me now. And, uh, and I was like, I, was, I, we started off with such a happy conversation and then you and <laughs> go this way. Um, my biggest thing with, with the Mephisto thing is, is if, you know, the way it went down, if they just had a thing where they were just never happy, you know, and where they could never be happy. Cause I'm trying to think, I can't, I mean, it's been a while. I read it you know a couple times back then and I really haven't revisited but I remember being like okay so what you're telling me is Mephisto is going to kind of erase things but like I think he mentioned something about like you're always going to feel like you're missing out you know like you're going to be dating Peter will be dating a girl but it'll never be good enough kind of thing and um, you know I was I was hoping that like this love conquers all theme would kind of go through it where like they didn't have to necessarily get back to, you know, they didn't have to get married again, but they would realize that they've always loved each other. And it that could take 200 issues or 300 issues where, like, Peter would be going on dates and things would just be, like, messing up for whatever reason. And then, like, MJ going through her personal life and and that stuff not working out. And then, like, it would give you little glimpses as a reader that, like, Oh yeah, they're they're struggling, and then you know because they've done it with like Wolverine with no more mutants. Like one of them, one of them would figure out that there was a previous life where they were like together and stuff. You know, and and, and I, I thought that there was a greater storytelling to be had than just kind of like wiping the slate clean. And then back that to my
0: basically is what happened with both of them relationship wise over the course of two or three hundred issues.
1: Yeah. Cause I yeah, cause I just I, I guess I realized. I mean I haven't I haven't really read Spider Man in in a little bit, but I was like I saw that MJ and Spider Man and Peter Parker are back together, and I was like oh okay, this is this is cute, you know. I, I, Spider Man for me now is like I'll read it in giant chunks of like thirty issues now, cause I, you know, it's cause I'm still so cause basically with one brand new day or one more day, that's where I end my run. I was like we had a great run. I had tons of issues at start to finish. This is my generation of Spider-Man. And then like whatever comes afterwards, that's your generation or somebody else's generation of Spider-Man, which is fine. And I've come to terms with it. And I'm like, this is, this is my run right here. You know, I'll take the clone saga. I'll take that bullet, you know, I'll take that all in. Um, And, uh, but no, it was, it's, it's still, it's still tough for me. Cause like, When I think about that, when they're like, oh, man, we can't write good stories with Peter Married. And I was like, well, you get better writers. Don't be fucking lazy. That's my biggest thing. I mean, like, I mean, just think about it like Todd McFarlane style. Like, if if a pitcher threw out 100 miles an hour and all the batters came back, oh, man, we can't hit 100 miles an hour. Like, all those players would be cut and they would get a batter. They would eventually get batters that could hit that pitch, you know, or they would keep trying. They wouldn't say, like, hey, we need to change the rules. To where the pitcher couldn't throw 100 miles an hour anymore, so that we can play baseball. I mean, it doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think I think there's a place that we can both agree here, though, is that at least with the Mephisto thing, they didn't go the route that they did the previous time that they split up Peter and MJ, where she was just on a plane that blew up. Yeah. And then they believe, like, he believed she was dead that whole time, that there was some kind of weird thing where they somehow brought her back.
1: Yeah, and and that's the other thing is, like, the the other thing is, I was like, Aunt May could, you know, if you want to evolve the character and and everything like that, kill Aunt May off and grieve and, like, move on. I mean, that would be another thing, you know, but it's. They gave
0: her a pretty good death in 400, and then they had to bring her back.
1: Right. But now but if you think about how oh man we're, I can't believe we're going down this wormhole of Spider-Man it <laughs> always does it to me. But then, you know, like you now like Aunt May lives and then she marries S- Jonah Jameson's brother and then Peter and Jonah Jameson are are brothers or are they brothers? Yeah,
0: they're basically stepbrothers. They're
1: stepbrothers now or something like yeah, she he marries Jonah's father and so now like Peter and Jonah are stepbrothers. and I was like how who in the room was like this is a good idea?
0: Who I, I- kinda like it. Oh. Jonah also knows now that Peter is Spider Man and he is constantly calling him anytime that something crazy is going on and telling him that he needs to go fix it.
1: Yeah. Jonah's like the he's like <laughs> the annoying neighbor now. He's just like, Hey, hey, the, my faucet's leaking. And he's like, I'm Spider Man. I don't fix faucets. Yeah, you, you need yeah. to fix my faucet. You need to fix my faucet. I don't, I don't know, man. I, mean, I,
0: kind of, I kind of like the the Jonah dynamic, though. Because, like, back in the day, they, they made him, like, this kind of grizzled, surly, older guy who seemed like he complained a lot and maybe didn't always have good intentions. But he also, they show time and time again, has his heart in the right place most of the time.
1: Oh, man. All right. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say goodbye to you <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to start your Todd McFarlane interview so that people, cause now we're 31 minutes into this podcast and I keep teasing this Todd McFarlane interview. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, we're actually going to, we're going to play the interview now. So Roger, um, are you on Twitter? What? How can people, yeah. you know? Yes.
0: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at R three. It's R-R-I-D-D-E-L-L-3. Um, so you can follow me there. It's, sometimes I forget that Twitter exists, though. So there might be long spaces where you don't see anything from me on there. But uh, I like to think that the, my tweets are generally fun when, uh, when I am active on there.
1: I mean, that's the thing is in my head, I have like two things that when I think of Roger Riddell, I think of Metal Roger. And I think of Randy Macho Man Savage. Like that's, that's if, if there, somebody's like, who's Roger Riddell? I It's like, that's the metal guy who likes Randy Macho Man Savage. Like that's the guy. <laughs> and then like, I mean, the comics is always like part of it, but it's like metal and, and Macho Man Savage. That's like where I go, like my go-to. So, but Roger, thank you so much for going to New York Comic Con for monkeys fighting robots. And, um, I'm so jealous. I didn't go to that Superman panel. Um, because, you know, I, I put that transcript together for the article that's on the website. It's so impressive. Like Ben just can talk. That's fine. But like listening to Frank Miller talk is really impressive. Um, and then you also did the Spider-Man panel, which I really enjoyed because I caught up on a lot of things. Um, and then just where Marvel is going right now was kind of cool. The next big thing, because there's some things going on with Thor that'll be interesting. To see and I, I think jason aaron has got some good stuff working on but, but roger big thanks for going up there it looked like you had a blast um and and I'm, i hope you did enjoy yourself
0: oh yeah i was you know more than happy to go up there and uh go to all these panels and uh talk to todd McFarlane, who as you know has been my favorite comic artist of all time since i was a kid like and Probably around the time that I started reading comics in like nineteen ninety two when I was reading some of the the at that point it wasn't as uh as distant you know back issues but uh yeah, I mean I grew up basically idolizing his art and trying to mimic it as a kid, and you know now I get to go up there and talk to him and then uh between all of this stuff, it's been close to like four hundred dollars on spider man comics so <laughs>
1: You know what's funny is I'm reading this right now, and you know what I think I'm going to do because like the interview is probably I don't know maybe 14 minutes. I'm probably going to introduce the interview at the beginning of the podcast so people can listen to yeah. that, and then like, "Listen, if we we this was the original plan was to have a conversation, introduce the introduce the interview, but then we went on we talked about Spider Man for 42 minutes now, and <laughs> <laughs> um, so." Here I'm I'm basically what I'm going to do is we're, we're changing it up live right now. I'm going to put the interview at the front of the podcast (laughs) and this is how we're going to close it out. So um, I'm Matt Sardo. You're Roger Riddell. This is monkeys fighting robots. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, you know, go to our website, do all those fun things. Um, And, and what I'm going to ask from you, Roger is to close out the show with your best macho man quote ever.
0: Oh, man, I need to think about this for a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Put me on the spot here. Uh, Monkeys fighting robots. Mm, Yeah.
1: Awesome, my friend. (laughs) So now that you've chosen the vanity, paint, and bathroom tile, you still can't decide on the faucet. Let the Home Depot make that easier by saving $10 on the sleek, modern Moen Genta faucet. Right now, it's only 89 bucks. How's that for easy choices? The Moen Genta faucet. Now, just 89 bucks during the winter kitchen and bath event at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Vowed through March 24th while supplies last.